you're listening to episode 77 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. He's Alex, I'm Tara, and with baseball's 2020 reality hanging in the balance, we try to uncover a hint of positivity. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in for another week of baseball talk with no baseball. At least at this point, there is some actual baseball talk, no actual baseball games. And as you'll find out in a few moments, that might be all we get for a very long time. But we'll get to that in a moment. I'm Tara, along with Alex, as per usual. And we are trying to survive this this crazy time of no baseball. Alex, I know we talked about it last week about how much sports seemed to be significant in our lives before all of this. But man, I'm I'm telling you, this week it hit me more than it ever has just how much I desperately miss sports. Me too. I have nothing to add. Me uh, <laughs> I've really been feeling it a lot lately. I, I think when it dawned on me sometime this week or last week that we would already be at like 25% into the season by now, you know, you know, like we would have played Mm -hmm. like over 40 games by now. And that, and that's crazy. I also forgot how actually close we were to the season starting when we cut down because the season, remember was going to start at like March 26th, you know, it was a little earlier than, you know, right. it wasn't like an April 3rd start or something like that. We were only like, what, nine, 10 days away? And I, and I think in our last podcast we recorded before the shutdown, you even alluded to like something like this will be the last podcast until we do yeah. one when it's like baseball eve or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's how close so, we were. Yeah, and we it were was very close. We were so close. <laughs> and, you know, I was thinking about it today, actually, how much our own ability to process all of this has changed, right? Because even at that point, we were like, well, they're going to shut down spring training for a couple of weeks. We'll see. They'll probably be baseball in about a month. And little did we know that there would be nothing a month from then or two months from then. And now we're we're trying to get some version of baseball back, but it is it is not going well. We'll get into that in a moment. There was the introduction of sports back to our world, though, this weekend and there was some weird version of golf that happened, and there was also NASCAR. So if you're really, really desperate for live sports, listen, I don't know if I've ever watched an entire NASCAR race in my life, and I was very interested primarily in watching how they were going to broadcast this race and how they were going to pull it off with all of the requirements, all the social distancing measures, and it was interesting, man. From a television production perspective, I can tell you, I'm very glad that I'm not involved in that production right now because to have every announcer in a different position, to have multiple microphones so that the sideline guy is holding his own mic and not passing it off to the person he's interviewing, they're using a separate microphone. Like, There's just so many complicated details to pull it all off right now that yeah, I guess it's it's back-ish, but man, it is not easy to uh, to get that to people within the realm of all of these restrictions. Well, you you just brought up something that I hadn't thought about yet. Have they? And again, I, I know like this is stipulating a lot here, but have they mentioned what announcing would look like if baseball were to return? Are, are we talking one man booths, or are we talking something similar to what you just said, where? 
where like uh, I, I like say Danny Mac and McCarver would be in different rooms. Yeah, so there are a lot of a lot of possibilities up in the air. Things like that where the the two announcers wouldn't be in the same room. There are possibilities where they wouldn't even be in the stadium. They would be in a studio recording doing sort of a remote broadcast, which is something that we see a lot in the sports world for like international events where the announcing team is actually in a studio somewhere. They're not on location for the game. But, you know, I've also seen in conversation things discussed about, you know, the cameras being moved so that there aren't two cameras close to each other and things that would require, you know, limits on access to players. They would do like Zoom calls for their media sessions and and things like that. So it's all still just as up in the air with that as it is with playing the actual game because they don't know what the restrictions are going to be as far as in the stadium and who can be there and who can't be. But it's definitely a part of this that's so strange. I mean, you talk about print media. I don't know what their access would be to the actual games. If the announcers for TV can't be in the stadium, you certainly would think that those guys would not be able to be in the stadium either. And that's going to limit their access and their ability to travel to these games, even with the limited regional travel. It's just such a mess. There are so many layers of complicated decisions to be made for this to ever get off the ground. Yeah. I I believe Fox Sports actually broadcast a few college football games like this one time. And Mm, if I recall, it's way more clunky than you would think. Like there's something about being there that really lends itself to to calling the game for others and just watching it on TV like the rest of us are. Which I guess that shouldn't be too surprising to people. Like there's just there's just something different about being actually at the game and, and experiencing it and you can almost tell when they're not. And now the difference here is we would all go in understanding that they're not at the game. So we, we might not be expecting the same sort of quality of a game being called or whatnot. And you might even hear people say like, well, just don't have announcers and let's just hear the natural sounds of the game or something like that. But I think we would find out very quickly how much the announcers, whether or not you like them or not, but how much they bring, how much they bring the game to us yeah, and, and how much we would lose not having them there, whether it's explaining what's going on in the field during a challenge or, or whatever. Yeah, there's also going to be some element of uh, with limited access as far as personnel. I'm wondering if there will be more like a, a single broadcast as opposed to each team having their own coverage because that just doubles the amount of people that are involved. Now, it could be a situation where they they share the video feed, then have their own announcers from whatever remote location uh doing the commentary, that sort of thing. But you're right. You can tell a difference. It doesn't come off the same way. And I think it's hard to announce a game like that and and appropriately um, emphasize the emotion or the ups and downs or the momentum or the tension in the air. You You can't feel any of that when you're watching it from a distance, especially without fans in the stands as well to kind of mirror whatever the emotion is of the game. So it would definitely be strange. It would be a limited kind of access that we have we've gotten so comfortable and so familiar with having just almost this unlimited access to our sports teams and the games that they play that it would definitely be strange but uh, perhaps better than nothing (laughs) at this point and so we'd all learn to adapt 
to some degree. Although, like I said, the possibility of getting baseball back, man, I tell you what, my opinion, my feeling about whether there will be baseball this summer or not seems to change by the day. And I have to tell you, today, I'm not feeling very confident that there will be baseball at all for a number of reasons. We can talk about some of those, but what about you? How how confident are you feeling about baseball this year? Well, it's interesting because my first instinct was to say, I'm feeling a lot more confident this week than I, than I was last week, almost strictly because and I don't know if you've felt this too, but it seems like the country has opened up a lot more in the last week. Definitely. Yeah, I've read articles about um, uh, r- restaurants, you know, allowing outdoor seating in some states and stuff like that. So like there's this slow march to to uh, kind of opening the country back up. And obviously, once that happens, then we're in a good place to have baseball. The problem is... Even if we get over that hurdle, I don't know if we're going to be able to get over the hurdle that is in front of us right now, which is like the the owners and the players being able to come to a, to an agreement of what is the season actually going to look like and how much how much are they going to get paid, <laughs> you know? So uh, on the one hand, at first I was feeling a little more confident, but it, that doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter if if all the restrictions are gone if the owners and players can't come to an agreement. Yeah, and that's even more complicated, I think, than a lot of these conversations have alluded to as well. Because, I mean, when you put out a a 65 plus page document with all sorts of restrictions and adjustments and adaptations to try to compensate for the health risks, while, and I've talked about this a, a number of times with a number of different people, while that seems like a proactive measure by Major League Baseball, it almost hurts their case because it feels like if it's that complicated, then it's probably not wise. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's probably not smart to go ahead with it. So that alone in trying to figure out the logistics of all of that, man, we're talking about you know spring training 2.0 being a couple of weeks away and you have to start making decisions on all of this like tomorrow in order to give teams and front offices and facilities and and personnel a chance to make all of those appropriate changes. And a lot of those things on the health and safety side are very theoretical right now. They're not even in place as far as the testing and the procedures for what happens if and how they're going to provide all of those tests and the fact that they think they're going to be able to provide tests to family members and to other people in the community, like all of that is very, very theoretical right now. And it's they're not in a place to start that in two weeks or whatever it is when they want this this spring training to start back up again. So that is complicated. And perhaps that should be the primary focus. But as Major League Baseball does, it's diverting to make the players kind of look like the bad guys. And I'm laughing because it's what they always do. But you're right. It's the, the money side of this is what people are going to talk about. And it's what fans are going to be upset about. And it's going to put this dark cloud over Major League Baseball's potential return and really just make it look like a bunch of of greedy millionaires and billionaires, which, okay, you can probably make the argument that that their their trials at this point look a lot different than, you know, those of us regular folks who are dealing with this situation as well. But 
there are still a lot of hurdles to cross, I guess, is the point in order to get baseball back. There was a tweet out from uh, John Heyman today talking about the fact that it sounds like the Major League Baseball owners have kind of given an ultimatum to the players as far as accepting or rejecting the new financial agreement and what they decide to do with that could determine the validity of or the reality, I guess, of a Major League Baseball season in 2020. All of that sounds super depressing, Alex. And I, quite honestly, am a little tired of talking about all the ways that baseball can't come back this year. So we're going to suspend our skepticism for just a few moments, not necessarily because we're feeling particularly optimistic about the return of baseball, but just because we're tired of rehashing the same negative things. So instead, for a few moments of your time, we are going to talk a little bit about what would happen if baseball is able to come back, if they get everything in place financially and from a health and safety standpoint, and they play this very weird version of baseball for half a season, 80 to 82 games, 45 to 50 man rosters, obviously not all of those active. You play within your region. So the AL Central would play the NL Central. The postseason looks like an expanded version of this weird cartoon playoffs setup that they created far before all of this worldwide pandemic stuff happened. Alex, what would you be most excited to see how it plays out if this version of baseball actually does happen? So this is going to sound weird because I am a noted anti-interleague guy. But mm-hmm. I would be kind of excited just for one year, this, again, kind of an outlier season, assuming they're not going to use some of uh, what happens this year to uh, you know, push new ideas going forward. But I would be excited to play so many, uh, so many games in stadiums that we're not used to playing in, just stadiums I'm not used to seeing on my television. I think that would be kind of cool. And I'm talking about the AL Central teams, obviously. Right. I, I think that would be fun. I, I, I think, and, and here's, <laughs> um, every once in a while, I, you know, I, I like put myself in like the head of a major league baseball player. And I think I've mentioned this before. I just don't like flying all that much. And for instance, I remember whether it was after the Cubs, Cubs series, the big Cubs series last year, remember they had to then go to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember thinking like, oh, man, I, could, I would hate to have to get on a flight all the way to Arizona right now. Um, and, you know, or then they're flying over here and then they're flying there. I'm excited for the players not to have to be flying f- <laughs> four hours, you know, very often or have nice little uh, shoot. They might be able to take a bus to some of these. Uh, well, maybe not the Cardinals, but, you know, if you're the Cubs, you have a lot of games against the White Sox. That's a pretty good deal, man. You, you just hop on a bus to uh, to the south side or, or whatever um, yeah. so i'm excited i'm excited for the players not to have to spend so much time uh, at airports and on airplanes i don't know if that's I, really what the people want to hear right now but. hey i can't imagine anyone's going to be particularly upset about not having to as far as you know those of us not on the west coast mm-hmm. no one's particularly upset about not having to deal with those west coast start times uh, yeah, oh, when yeah, you yeah, are watching yeah, you know, oh, as far as exactly, as, yes, as far yes, as good point. that is actually an interesting advantage. Again, not that I'm you know 
proposing this be a permanent change. But it is an interesting advantage to a schedule like this where you're playing more regionally. You're not dealing with crossing time zones quite as often or Mm -hmm. having to figure out, you know, okay, am I going to stay up till 930 to watch the start of this game in L.A. or am I going to just catch the highlights in the morning? That is an interesting adjustment to make baseball a little more regional, which it, it sort of is in some respects anyway. But as far as the, the opponents that you see all the time, like you said, in Chicago, you know, those guys can stay at their own homes and then just drive across town in some fashion or the other. And of course, they do that, you know, when they play the White Sox in interleague play, but they'll do it more often in a schedule like this. And, you know, they can keep their their normal schedule and and not be dealing with the, the time changes all the time. So, yeah, I, I mean, if I'm a player and looking for a silver lining, that's definitely one that I would consider at this point, I think. Let, let me ask you this, and this is uh, not a very Cardinal-centric question, but that's okay. Say the Seattle Mariners, say this season happens, and the Seattle Mariners perform way above what they were projected to by, say, Dakota or whatever anyone else says. Do we assume that the lack of uh jet lag that they're so often um, suffering from i would assume during the season is a big factor in that mm, interesting you it know could be. someone would write that piece right yeah right, like, well we know we know now that the amount of sleep someone gets has a distinct impact on the way that they function right like there are sleep yes. studies that tell us that and that's why in so many cases athletes are, you know, encouraged to take their sleep habits very seriously to be in peak condition. So I would be curious to know how, if at all, that would impact anyone. And you're right, somebody's going to write that somebody's going to talk about it as an advantage, not having to travel as much as normal, if they are, in fact, you know, able to play better than than they would otherwise. Right. Well, I, yeah. I guess I guess the thing with Seattle, though, is they they really don't have any close teams. Um, True. <laughs> you know, they're traveling. They're closest, what, Oakland? Is that their closest? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So that's still somewhat of traveling. So maybe that's not even the best example. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I think I would be kind of excited by just the uh, regional aspect of it. And that isn't even considering the point you brought up, which is the fact that, yeah, I'm not staying up until, you know, you talk about the West Coast games uh, they're even an hour later mm-hmm. uh, for me on the East Coast, and so they they're almost impossible sometimes. Um, but yeah, I think that I think those would be my answers. What what would you look forward to about this? The only thing that really stands out, other than that, is that these expanded rosters are really interesting to me because mm-hmm. I was on a, another podcast the other day, and Cody Decker was a part of it former player. And he even noted that if you can be successful at double A, you can be successful at the major league level. And that's not often something that we talk about. I I think a lot of times the difference is consistency. And sometimes the difference is mindset, right, to go from one level to the next at that point. But the skill level is certainly comparable. So the expanded rosters are really interesting to me because you're going to be seeing guys that wouldn't otherwise get a shot at the big leagues this year. And that could go two ways, right? It could be kind of that quad A player that was never going to get this much of a chance, or it could be the double A guy that wasn't really ready to be there yet, but he's too good to just 
leave him at home for the the half a season that they're going to get to play. So it provides an interesting opportunity for guys like that. And when you think about then going into a season where free agency is going to be such a disaster because of all the money not being made by the owners this year and just how this is going to have lingering effects on baseball, you know, a guy like that who you know, we talked to Xavier Scruggs a couple of weeks ago, and he was a guy that kept getting little limited chances at the big league level. But for the Cardinals, they were just so stacked in their organization at that point that it didn't really stick. But if he'd had maybe a little more time, maybe a little bit more of an opportunity to get in some game reps at the major league level. Plus, I don't know quite how they're going to do all the, the service time stuff. And, you know, certainly they could there could be guys who weren't a part of the the MLB Players Association before, and now they will be once they're on an MLB roster. And I don't know how all that's going to work, but it is an interesting bonus in a season where that's only happening out of necessity that some of these guys are going to get a really cool opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise have had. For sure. And that's might be it. <laughs> um, no, I mean, quite honestly, we're going to be excited to see any version of baseball, I think. But those are the things that specific to this plan would be really intriguing, um, just from a, a the, the perspective of separating the reason for the change from the actual change itself. And I don't know, I, I think there would be a lot of intrigue in some of those matchups. We talked a little bit last week about the DH and how the Cardinals would be set up for that or wouldn't be, depending on what Matt Carpenter we see out of the gate this year. And, um, you know, those are all things that can be interesting storylines in a season that could be very dominated by (laughs) all the headlines that don't actually have to do with baseball, which will get very frustrating if that happens. But, you know, we get it. We understand the situation that we're, we're living in and Again, the reality is we may not have baseball of any kind, but if we do, I don't know, it could be fun. It could be fun to see a a weird version of baseball that exposes new players to new roles and all of us watching to, you know, teams that we don't always get to see and a little Uh, extra sleep. So it's not all bad. (laughs) How how ready do you think the players are for this? Mm. I mean, do you think these guys are staying in shape? Because... You know, certainly they can, you know, they post those videos like on their Instagram of them like working out and stuff like that. But I would have to think it's really hard to simulate just major league pitching, you know, and and so they are going to have to have some sort of spring training, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, at least a couple of weeks of it, I, I, I would think. And I've, I've heard you discuss this with, I think, Shoptaw before, but like the time is kind of running out if they are going to make a decision. They need to do this soon. Or we're talking about baseball not happening or running into like December or something if they want to actually play the 82 games, which I think is what their plan is as of now. There are so many details that have to be worked out that it's, and I guess that's maybe why I'm feeling a little bit pessimistic about the existence of baseball in 2020, is that there are so many details that still haven't been worked out. And I, we've, we've gone, you know, two and a half months at this point and they still don't have details worked out. And I know that in part that's because things keep changing and information keeps changing and the the rules and restrictions keep changing and they're trying to adapt on the fly. But there are a lot of holes in their plan right now that have to be filled before those guys can ever hit the field. But yeah, I mean, if they do, I think that there's going to be plenty of intrigue 
in a lot of respects. One of them being how ready are these players to actually get back on the field? As much as, you know, it is difficult to maintain game shape. We all know there's a difference in being in shape and being in game shape. And that's very, very true. I also think there's there's got to be a challenge in staying motivated to work out by yourself, to do weird versions of a training program based on Zoom meetings with your trainer and doing that for an undetermined amount of time. I mean, the motivation factor, I don't know how different it is for... (laughs) again, us regular folks who aren't motivated enough to become professional athletes, but it's got to be a very real piece of this puzzle. Just kind of, we're all losing our minds without trying to stay in tip-top shape, much less trying to maintain that sort of motivation, knowing that there's so much, there's such a likelihood of all of that work being for nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm frustrated just thinking about that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm not sure we did a great job of trying to find a positive twist here, but there were there were a couple of minutes in the middle there I mean, where it sounded like fun, right? I mean, I had like, while we were talking, like nine negative things that popped into my <laughs> head. So I think we did a pretty decent job because it really is hard to find anything good to talk about. In fact, even this, like, you would think if there's no baseball, like, aha, like, this sucks. There's no baseball, but I'm finally, I'm, I'm like catching up on like sleep. I'm banking sleep hours mm-hmm. right now because you take out 162 baseball games and that's like, uh, what can we say? That's like 350 or 300 hours of more sleep than I would get otherwise over the course of a year <laughs> or a hundred more hours, whatever. But that's not even happening. And I don't know why I'm, I'm not getting any <laughs> sleep. I'm going to bed later. Like, I think it's lack yeah. of normal schedule. It's really throwing me off. Like kids are running into the room at like 6am. Yeah, I'm, I'm a mess, man. I should yeah. be I should be flourishing right now because of those sleep studies you brought up. I should be getting more sleep and I'm not and it's uh, yeah, it's not cool. Yeah, no, it's it's a very strange version of the world that we're living in right now in every possible way. So to find two minutes in this conversation to talk about how fun baseball would be, um, I, I think we can pat ourselves on the back for that. But because we know you're all somehow running out of time, even though no one has anywhere to go. We're going to keep this one short and sweet. And if you have things that you think would be fun about this alternate reality version of baseball, make sure to let us know. But Alex, I think that means it is time for the chirp of the week. Okay. Uh, I guess that means Carter didn't have a question for us this week. Carter. (laughs) No. All right. I'm counting on him to come through next week. Uh, (laughs) We might as well just make him like the third part of the show. I know, we probably could at this point. Um, Tara, did you watch uh, the final two episodes of The Last Dance? I did. Okay, I I figured you did. Um, You are the one Utah Jazz fan I think I know. (laughs) And uh, uh, that was not a a probably fun two hours of television if uh, if you're a Utah Jazz fan. Um, Not kind of the Utah Jazz at all. Uh, You saw (laughs) not just the 98 finals which we were building up to but they covered the 97 finals. yeah they kind of blindsided me with 97 there oh yeah that, so you that saw, came in quick <laughs> you saw the last second jordan shot in game uh-huh. one in 97 oh they were kind they didn't show the missed free throws by malone i don't know That's if you true. noticed that but it's they true. easily could have i mean there were plenty of them over the course of those two finals so <laughs> take your pick <laughs> yeah. um 
Well, anyway, I, I thought since that was such a uh, downer for the state of Utah, I would uh, try and lift Utah back up. And we're going to talk about uh, players born in Utah who played for the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay. Uh, there, there aren't many. <laughs> I'm honestly surprised there are any. <laughs> well, uh, before we get to that, do you have any idea who easily is the career leader in wins above replacement? Um and born in Utah. What, what do you call someone from Utah or born in Utah? U- Utah. Utah. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Do you yeah. know who? I do not. Utahns <laughs> and wins above replacement. That's uh, nothing to be ashamed of. I don't. I would not have known this either. And I bet <laughs> most people from Utah would not have known this either. Bruce Hurst. Huh. Uh, 34.5 okay. uh, wins above replacement. He was a pitcher from 80 to 94 with, I remember him with Boston. Um, he may have pitched. Was he pitching in game six? I don't know. He may have been. Anyways, he was born in Utah. And he is the career war leader for all Utahns. But this is a Cardinals podcast, so let's talk about Cardinals. And the career war leader for Cardinals pitchers and for Cardinals in general, Utahns, is a guy named Eddie Hauser or Hooser. Um, H-E-U-S-S-E-R. Okay. Uh, he pitched from 1935 to 1936 with the Cardinals. 1.5 wins above replacement. He was a, about just a very average, and I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as um, a very average pitcher. He pitched, what, 227 innings for the Cardinals, and he had a 99 ERA+. plus. So there you go. He is the leader for the Cardinals for pitchers. For batters, who do we have? We have Doug Howard. Born in Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. Had 29 plate appearances with the Cardinals in 1975. And in those 29 plate appearances, accumulated 0.2 wins above replacement for the okay. good guys. <laughs> and that's really all I got. It's, uh, it's not a very uh, extensive list. You know, we do a lot of winter sports. <laughs> <laughs> so... Baseball is probably not the number one go-to for for kids growing up in the state of Utah. <laughs> well, during the last dance, uh, noted Cardinals Twitter uh, persona or, or guy VHS tweeted, uh, "Name something good about Utah." And I couldn't I couldn't tell if he was being earnest or if he it didn't sound like it. Right? I think he was yeah implying that there's not much good about Utah. agreed but, but he got a lot of replies telling him he all the good things about utah and i for one have been to i i've ridden a horse down bryce canyon okay like one of the most beautiful places you'll ever see yeah um it's gorgeous but, yeah it, like when i say rode a horse i was in like a i was in this like the seventh grade and on like a tour group so i was with sure. a bunch of other people <laughs> on horses i wasn't just like out of my own you know uh, <laughs> horsebacking across the state and uh, so I did a whole vacation in Utah once, and it's a very beautiful place to uh, stay in. It's also a very beautiful place to just drive through because mm-hmm. there's amazing scenery, and the roads aren't like twisting and turning like they say might be in Denver or near Colorado. Mm-hmm. So, so you'd really have to pay attention. Like it's just like these long, like four mile straightaways. You can almost be half asleep and yeah. drive through Utah. It's it's quite incredible. And it's cool, too, if you're looking for just a a scenic drive, because you can go from the northernmost corner of the state to the southernmost part of the state and see so many different kinds of scenery. You can get 
kind of the the mountain wildflower prairie scenes you can get obviously the the mountains that you're expecting with the snow on the peaks but you can also in the southern part of the state get all the red rock formations and kind of the desert thing which is you know all within you know five or six hours of each other so if you're looking for scenic locations for outdoor adventures yeah utah is a pretty great spot for that and i would just like to point out that while there may have been very slim pickings for restaurants open past 10 p.m in the 98 uh, spring, that is not the case anymore. It has grown up a lot, and there are plenty of places to get a late-night snack that's probably not poisoned. So, okay. you know, there, so, are, there are options now. So when I drove through there last time, I stayed the night. It was when I was driving back from San Diego. I stayed the night in, ah, shoot. So say you're driving up. What's the interstate that goes through Las Vegas? and uh, Oh, through Vegas. Um, into Utah. I wasn't in St. George. I was in the town like okay. probably 60 miles north of St. George. There was a college there, like Utah State or Southern, whatever that town was. I don't know. And when I went to a pizza place. I had a beer. It was not the Utah that, it was not my father's Utah, I think is what I would say. Uh, <laughs> yes. It was a more uh, uh, modern day Utah. Yeah. Much of it has become that. This was not Michael Jordan Utah, I guess is what I should say. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Before we go, though, I do want to just go ahead and say the other Cardinals who have had played, the other Utahns who have had played appearances for the Cardinals. So I mentioned Doug Howard and Ed Hauser, who's there. There's also Nate Kimball, six played appearances with the Cardinals, born in Logan, Utah. There's Jay Van Noy. Eight plate appearances with the Cardinals in 1951 from Garland, Utah. There's Herman Franks. 21 plate appearances with the Cardinals in 1939 from Price, Utah. And then there's Gordon Slade. 70 plate appearances with the Cardinals mm-hmm. in 1933, born in Salt Lake City, Utah. So there you go. That's That kind of rounds out all of the Cardinal, all the Utahns who have played for the Cardinals. All six of them. Not a whole lot of current <laughs> players. <No>. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, overall, the batters, uh, I'm not even on the page anymore. This is all from Baseball References Play Index. But for Major League Baseball as a whole, like I think the leader in wins above replacement was like nine points something. <laughs> I don't quite remember. Yeah. It wasn't great. For, for batters, as pitchers, as, as I mentioned, it's, uh, it was Hurst. Yeah. Um, we, we do winter sports. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in reality, places like California or Florida or Texas – you see a lot more baseball activity there because it can play year round. So yeah, it's not, not exactly our, our uh, top activity, I would say for young athletes, but you know, they got a few names on the list. So um, I'm not sure if that makes me feel better after the last dance, but it's at least not Michael Jordan destroying my nine-year-old hopes and dreams for the second year in a row. So I'll take it. I was really surprised, and this has nothing to do with the Cardinals, but I was really surprised to see behind the curtain post-game stuff where, like, Malone and Stockton were just sitting there waiting for their turn, and then Jordan kind of came out and gave them, like, you know, daps, and then yeah. walked on, and then they walked, you know, onto the stage. And then, like, Malone on the bus after the mm-hmm. after the championship. Had you ever seen that stuff, or you're on TV? Did you know that's how those post-game 
press conferences work where the other guys are just sitting there waiting for their turn? You know, they're usually in the same place. There's just one press conference room. So Mm -hmm. I don't know that I had necessarily thought about how that interaction goes between those players from different teams as they're moving in and out of that room. But yeah, you know, that's sort of the uh, flow of traffic backstage in a lot of those venues. And it's not quite as like all the glamour and all the, the glitz is in front of the curtains and behind it, it's just a stadium and people just wander around the hallways. So yeah, not necessarily super unusual. I guess it didn't strike me as that particularly odd. So I must have, you know, my experience in those back hallways at large events probably has something to do with that. But the getting on the bus to, to talk to Michael Jordan, say goodbye to the players. That was something that I don't, I don't think I would have been aware of at the time, but that, was interesting because that was an a totally unnecessary move and you know you like to see that kind of sportsmanship that's not to say that you know these athletes all have their issues and I think we saw that with some of the stories that were told in this documentary but um yeah in the moment nice to see nice to see that kind of sportsmanship and appreciation for each other even after you know such a brutal loss for the for the jazz yeah very nice very nice and that is our baseball podcast. <laughs> and we very much, the other good thing about this version of baseball coming back is that we would have things to talk about. So yeah. maybe that's the best one of all is that we wouldn't have to try so hard to find ways to entertain you for at least a little bit of your quarantine time. So if you have taken the time to listen to this podcast, we appreciate you. We appreciate your time and your interest in what we have to say, whether it's earth shattering or not but make sure that you are subscribed to the birds on the black podcast wherever you're listening to this so that you hear everything from us each week as well as the other podcasts coming out of the birds on the black staff i know that zach gifford is doing another nerds on the black this evening so you can look for that as well and we will be back next week with hopefully an update to whatever is or is not happening in the world of baseball. So for Alex, I'm Tara. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.